The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hello, world. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of The Other Side podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan. And today we will be talking about immigration separations, separations of children from parents along the uh, southern border in the United States. And uh, here to discuss that with us is Amy Bittner, who is the chair of the Ohio Chapter of American Immigration Lawyers Association. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah. Hey, this is going to be a, a good one. So uh, buckle up because Amy is down in Dilly, Texas, as we speak, and, and she's at the largest detainment facility in the country, which is about 90 minutes away from the Mexican border. Is that right, Amy? Yeah. And so can you kind of talk about why you're down there and what it looks like? Uh, get, give us a kind of a, a perspective on the environment. Sure. We're in a small town called Dilly, Texas. We fly into San Antonio and then we travel a little over an hour southwest. Dilly has a population of about 3,000 people, if you don't count those in the detention center. The detention center is the South Texas Family Residential Center. This was built in 2014 by the Obama administration, and this detention center was built as a family detention center. It specifically holds women and their children who enter the United States together. If the family unit that enters has a male in the family, the father or the husband, he is separated from the women and children, and he is taken to an adult immigration detention center. So this facility has mothers and their children together. And Amy, can you just kind of describe, give us a picture of, if we were to walk into this facility, like what would we see? Yes, the facility is comprised of a bunch of trailers, for lack of other words. It is not one cohesive facility. You turn off, you pass the Sendero Ranch, and you turn left down this very gravel, dusty road, and you park, and you walk up to a trailer. It looks like a big mobile unit turn sideways. And that is the first modular unit because that is the security trailer. You're not allowed to bring in your phone. You cannot bring in even an iWatch. We have to get clearance to bring in our computers. We have to get cleared a week ahead of time to be allowed to enter. And once we dump out our bags, they can see everything in it, walk through the metal detector and then get double wanded. We walk out the back of that trailer. We walk across a short little ramp to go into the visitation trailer. And that is where the CARA Pro Bono Project is housed. This is a collaboration of various interested nonprofits, particularly the American Immigration Lawyers Association, the American Immigration Council, and Clinic, the Catholic Legal Immigration Network. And this CARA Pro Bono Project also started, I believe, also in 2014. So this is a visitation trailer where the project is allowed to give legal advice to the women and their children. Amy, we talked about, you mentioned this earlier, we talked about this uh, earlier in the show, about that this facility was built under the Obama administration. As you're well aware, this is a highly politicized and hot topic, and, and it has been since even this facility was built in 2014. And we've had this separation issue, but you, you've you been kind of dealing in this world. This facility was built to house families who were who were trying to get into the country basically from central american countries right they they were trying to escape violence in their region 
Yes, these are asylum seekers. They are, the vast majority of them are from El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, but then there are some other countries um, that come as well. Because these families don't have visas to enter the United States, unless they get a positive result of a credible fear interview with an asylum officer, they would just be subjected to expedited removal, and that means they would just be deported as quickly as possible without ever even having the chance to seek asylum here. And the standard has gotten more difficult very recently with Attorney General Jeff Sessions has referred to himself and issued some Attorney General opinions of a case called Matter of AB that tightens up and makes it more difficult for victims of domestic violence and gang violence to qualify for asylum. And so you had sent me an email a few minutes ago before we, we were able to connect and talk. Can you kind of, you said that you, were, you guys were starting to see some families who had been separated that were reuniting. Yeah, so that's new for the center. This was always just families who'd been held together and who'd never been separated. But yesterday afternoon, families started trickling in that had just recently been reunited. And that's presenting um, new challenges that my colleague Emily Brown here can tell you about. She met with one of those women yesterday and her child. And so the families that are reunited, how long are they going to be at this facility? And what is the next step, I guess, for them? Hi, this is Emily Brown. I'm with Advocates for Basic Legal Equality and also volunteering down here in Dilly with Amy. So the government's goal appears to be to reunite these families here in Dilly, which they are required to do by a court order by a federal judge. And then they are trying to quickly deport them once they've been reunited. And some of these women have never had the opportunity to go through that process that Amy just mentioned, the credible fear interview. So essentially, like, you know, the woman that I met with yesterday had been detained by our government for two months, separated from her child, and never even given the opportunity to apply for asylum. So our goal as volunteers down here working with the CARA Pro Bono Project is to try to make sure that those women and those children actually get their rights to have that interview with the asylum officer and be able to stay here and pursue their claims for asylum. And the government, though, is trying to deport them sooner rather than later. Do you know where her child was taken? That's a good question because she does not even know the answer to that. So pretty shockingly, I think, this woman was reunited with her kid a couple days ago, her small child, and she still does not even know where he was during those couple months that they were that they were kept apart. He is very young and can't quite communicate where he was and no one when she was reunited with him nobody ever told her he was in a foster home he was in a shelter he was in a detention she doesn't know any of that and so you know not only taking these children away from these women but then when they're reunited they have no idea what their child has experienced what kind of trauma they may have been through it's really pretty sickening yeah emily you know obviously there there's a lot of political and a lot of opinions on this issue, but I want to strip that all away and just talk about, you know, kind of the human side of this, the humanity involved in this and and what you witnessed and, and really kind of take us inside what it was like or what you thought it was like for this mother and this child and what they've gone through and what you saw when they were reunited. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is, you know, they are still very much, both of them appear to be still very much traumatized by what happened to them, and they're still very much trying to process it. I mean, obviously, 
and this is true with all of the mothers and children that we've seen, the kids don't want to leave their side. The mothers don't want the kids to leave their side. You know, they're going to sit, the kids will sit there on his mother's lap during the interview with you where you're trying to prepare her for her, um, her credible fear interview and to talk about her, her story and her case for asylum. They're just still very, very much afraid of being torn apart in the future. I mean, there's no, you know, they, from their perspective, they never imagined a thing like this could happen in the United States of America, that a child would be taken away from his mother and she would have no idea where he was for two months. Um, and they don't feel that they have any guarantee that this couldn't happen to them again. And so there's just a daily constant fear of and sort of flashbacks to what happened and thinking about it. Hey, Emily, do you think that she'll ever get an answer to her question of where he was? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's possible. But at this point, you know, the paperwork that she brought all the paperwork with her and to meet with me and we did not. There was nothing in it that really indicated where he was. And I'm not sure if she ever will find that out. I was just curious when you guys were there on the ground, what are the things that really stand out to you? Like the things that are the most urgent needs or, or most urgent concerns? The most urgent thing they need is honestly more funding to fund this project. I brought down 13 attorneys and interpreters from Ohio, but we're only here for the week because we're working pro bono. There is a staff of a managing attorney, a staff attorney, and some administrative help. But since uh, the recent moves that have made it tougher, more difficult for these women to qualify for, Asylum, they've increased the volunteer capacity to have a lot more volunteer attorneys to help these women. However, then the staff is way overloaded, the permanent on-the-ground staff. So I think this project is lesser known, even though it's the largest family detention center in the country. So especially with these women and children getting reunited, I mean, they need funding so they can attend to these women's legal needs. Because what I heard from the attorneys meeting with the women and kids yesterday who got reunited is, as Emily was saying, they were so traumatized and they're so afraid their kids going to be ripped apart from them again. They're tending, before they meet with us, they're tending to just want to get deported with their kid because what happened to them here being separated from their child was so terrifying to them as a mother. They'd rather you know, take their risk sure. back where their lives are in danger just to not to be separated from their child. And my understanding is we have, we have a very short turnaround time to try to make these women aware of their legal rights, but they're they've in, not in a very good mental state after what the, they have been put through with the family separation. So what is, your, what is your goal when you go down there? Is it to just answer their questions? Is it to help... If they want to stay in the country, try to help them stay. And what is your goal? Our goal is to prepare them for their credible fear interview with the asylum office because they want to apply for asylum in the United States, but they go to this, they don't get the chance to even apply for asylum, which would be in the context of in deportation proceedings with an immigration judge. They don't even get there unless the asylum officer who interviews them finds that they have a credible fear of returning to their country such that there's a significant or reasonable possibility they may qualify for asylum in front of a judge. And this is my third time volunteering down here. I've come once every year. And what I have found is these women, they have been through so much. It's not just one problem or one danger they've had in their country. And when I meet with them, I'm usually, if I just generally ask them, you know, why did you leave Honduras? They just give, like, the most recent reason, sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. Are you allowed to be in the room with them when they have this hearing? We are. 
Yes, and uh, whether someone can be with them depends upon, you know, how many volunteers the facility has. Many women do it on their own. So our main job is preparing them to do that interview, and then an attorney may or may not be able to go with them. Since the, the court order to reunite these kids with their parents came out, do things seem to be getting better? I, I know that's probably a kind of a subjective way to look at it, but is it happening? Yeah, is it happening? Is the facility overcrowded? Are there less people there? Or like, how's that working? Well, there are more people at Dilly now as they bring in families to reunite them. But the, you know, the government is supposed to reunite everybody by next week is the deadline. And it's unclear whether they're actually going to meet that deadline, whether they're really feeling the urgency of that. Um, and then, as you probably know, the Trump administration's solution to the to fixing the separation problem that they created is to just detain families indefinitely. And that is, I don't know if you saw, there was a recent whistleblowers from, I think they were within the Department of HHS, medical doctors issued a report today, there was an article about it in the New York Times this morning, about how even any detention of any duration can be traumatic for children and that the facility, particularly down right at the border when they first come in, have such horrible conditions that all of these migrant children are in danger of permanent lasting psychological trauma um, just by being continued, continuing to be detained. So these reunited families, like their trauma is not ending now that they're reunited. They're still in detention, which is wrong, and children shouldn't be in detention. Does detention feel like a prison to them? I mean, is this place surrounded with fencing and barbed wire? Is it heavily patrolled? Like, does it have that prison-like feel to them? I'd say it has the feel of a concentration camp. The whole facility is surrounded by a very high chain link fence with barbed wire at the top, like you see in jails or prisons. So within that facility that's fenced in, it's a whole bunch of these trailers mm. where they live like a cabin with a bunch of bunk beds, so they don't have privacy. Like each family unit has a bunk bed, and I think there's maybe like 10 units in the in each sleeping cabin, they told me. And with the reunited families, this facility just started getting them yesterday afternoon, so this is very new. I don't know if you want to talk in a couple of days. We can give you more of an update on how the family reunification is going. This is new. So what about, like, are they being provided, you know, diapers and... and a- any education? Yeah, like... Anything like that? The, the things that they need to, you know, to take care of their kids and stuff? Yes, yeah, so school-age children do go to school. The ones that are younger have to stay with their mom. That's a problem for us, giving legal advice. I struggled a lot with that the first time I came down here, that the mom case was, you know, domestic violence, you know, very bad violence by the father of that child. And that little child was right there, like clinging to her. And he could understand what we were saying. And it made me feel very wrong, you know, as a mother to be doing that, talking about the guy's, the child's father in front of him that way. But I just figured we're doing more good to that child by helping him get out of here and getting him to safety than the short-term harm of hearing about the horrible things his father did. So with regards to diapers and stuff, they do provide them with those things, but they are rationed. I've had mothers complain that they got in trouble because the guards told them that they used too many wipes or that they shouldn't change their baby's diaper really? that frequently. Yes, they don't have their, you know, they have a, a quota they're allowed to use. That's it. So to wrap up here, do you have a sense of how do most of the people in this detainment facility get there? Are they crossing the border? Are they people who cross the border and then were sent back 
How are most of the people ending up in this detention facility? They seek entry at the southern border. Some of them did enter unlawfully, such as coming over on the Rio Grande River. And then after they got here, they approached an immigration officer so they could apply for asylum. And then some of them come in through the ports of entry seeking asylum. Some of our volunteers went to the Laredo and Nuevo Laredo border crossing a couple nights ago to see what was going on. And they were able to see a large group of asylum seekers that were on the Mexican side that they weren't able to come in because the Customs and Border Patrol says that there's not sufficient room and they just have to camp out in Mexico and be exposed to the elements, which I think violates domestic and international asylum law. Well, certainly this situation isn't over and I appreciate both of you making some time out. You guys are doing some significant work down there and we really appreciate you taking some time out to educate us and our listeners on this issue. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Lucas. All right, you want to move on to something else? Let's do it. Okay. All right. So for everybody at home, you know, for for those of you who have heard some of our past episodes, sometimes, you know, I try to incorporate fun things. Yeah, fun. And, yeah. You know, things that kind of keep things lively and entertaining. So one of the things that we play sometimes is a civics game or a American history. And you're super competitive about it. Well, I'm not athletic. So this is this is like <laughs> this is like Super Bowl for for nerds for me. Right. Okay. So I don't get, there's not very many times I actually can win like competing with some so this is one of the things so today we're going to do something different lucas has it. he has a challenge for me and no it's for both of us for both of us and so why don't you explain to me and everybody who's listening what's going to happen so i saw this on twitter and it had me rolling okay and it's a book that was written to explain rap lyrics basically to white people okay and Patrick, what is the book called? Understand Rap. Yeah, it's called Understand Rap. And it's basically taking a lyric from okay. a rap song mm-hmm. and it can it's any rap song. Okay. And then it gives an explainer. Okay. Basically for white people to explain what the artist is talking about. Okay. The front of the cover says understanding rap explanations of confusing rap lyrics you and your grandma can understand. There you go. All right. So Patrick is going to pick out. I sent him some excerpts from the book. Okay. He's going to read the rap lyric. Okay. We're going to try to figure out what it means okay. if we don't, you know, and talk about it. So and we who, don't have to try to whoever, figure out who it is. Whoever's just... who no, okay. whoever's closest to the meaning is a winner. So Patrick's going to pick some examples and we're going to figure, we're going to discuss it and then he's going to read the definition. All right. All right. I mean, so I don't need to like keep score or anything. Yeah, you need to keep score. Oh, oh, well, this is a good Patrick's going to be the judge. All right. Here we go. The first one says, I ain't passed the bar, but I know a little bit. Okay. I ain't passed the bar, but I know a little bit. Seems to me that I may not be a lawyer or I may not have a degree, but I've learned enough on the streets to get by. Okay, Scott? I actually agree with that. I think that means that I'm not a legal expert, but I've learned a lot. I will go one step further and take a gamble and say that that's a quote from Jay-Z. Am I right? Yes, it is from Jay-Z. So you're right on that. But wow. I mean, I should, See, I, didn't know that. Po- I should get double points yeah, I for didn't that. Know that. I mean, maybe maybe we should do Guess the Artist, but I that's good. So the explanation says, although I haven't educated myself concerning the matters necessary to complete the examination lawyers take to be able to practice law, I have enough knowledge to be a very successful rapper and entrepreneur and to have... 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and to have sustained a level of wealth greater than many lawyers. Yeah. So we both got it right. I, yeah. I'd say you both got it right. I, yeah, like, I think you give yeah. give Scott an extra point because he got it, Jay-Z. We'll try to name the artist, too. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, the next one says, flow so cold, chicken soup won't help. Okay, so basically, I think that means that, like, this artist's rap skills are so You good. don't know the artist? Just give me a second. So I think the uh, he's saying my rap skills are so great that he's using a uh, what is it called dump double on ton on Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's using that basically saying saying that that even soup, which is typically what you would give somebody who's cold, because he said my skills are so cold that chicken soup won't even help. So it's basically a playoff of words. I think that could be. I'm gonna go what with it? fifty. I'm gonna say it's ludicrous. Okay. That's a good. That's and I'm one. gonna and I so flow so cold means that my rhymes are so good, my lyrics are so good, and they make you sick that not even chicken soup will help you get better or understand them or come close to duplicating them. That's what I took from it. Okay. So what's the definition? Okay. It says the stream of lyrics that travels from my mouth to the microphone is so powerful that if it were a sickness, a common home remedy would have no. That's effect. what I said. Yeah, yeah. So that's so I'd say it's so both of you got so I would say Luke got the definition right, but neither of you got the artist right. Wait it's, a minute. It's so a little you wing. mean to tell me nothing I said had any? You didn't say that it was a remedy. Look, I'm the judge. All right, Scott has two. Luke has one. Who was the artist? Little Wayne or Lil Wayne? Sorry, not Lil. 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 It's just L-I-L. Okay, the next one says, I was strapped with gats when you were cuddled with cabbage patch. I was strapped with gats when you were cuddling cabbage patch? Yeah, cuddled with cabbage patch. Okay, so gats are guns, right? I'm helping you, which I shouldn't be, but yes. Okay, so that means he was already a soldier or already geared to toughness when... Others were still holding their doll, walking around. So that means he, he's been hard since he was a kid, while you've been soft since you were a kid? Well, that's what I'm saying it is. Okay, do you have a guess on the artist? I'm going to say Drake. Okay, Scott? It's basically saying that I used to carry a gun when you were a kid, and and it's it's also kind of a way of saying, like, you're soft, like you were playing with Cabbage Patch dolls, so I'm out I here. had a Cabbage Patch doll when I was a kid. Did you? Yeah. Do you have a guess on the artist, Scott? I don't think I'm going to say I I think is uh, Biggie Smalls. Okay, so the definition says when you were still a child and had no concerns other than playing with dolls in the comfort and safety of your home, I was carrying guns around in my dangerous urban neighborhood. And the artist is Dr. Dre. So I would say, as being the judge, I would say both of you would get a point for the definition, and neither would get a point for all right. That's fine for the artist. So it would be. Scott has three. Lucas has two. Can we two. take away half a point for him having a cabbage patch doll? <laughs> no, there's no half points. There's just a point. You a didn't point. have a doll? Man. No. I think you're just You jealous. never had a doll. Yeah. Ready for the next one? Yeah. It says, I call all the shots, rip all the spots, rock all the rocks, cop all the drops. So in terms of the lyrics, what's the first one? I say? call all the shots. I call all the shots, meaning I'm a, I'm a boss. I'm a decision maker. I, I make the final call decision on things. What's okay. the second one? Rip all the spots. That means when I perform <laughs> in venues, like concerts or whatever. What's the third one? Rock, rock all, all the rocks. rocks. Rock all the rocks. This is like my favorite rap this song is of like, all time. Like, yeah, this is like if you have like jewelry, ice, diamonds, and you wear them or flaunt them or flash them. It could be that. 
Okay. Is it a worth one? Cop all the drops. Cop all the drops. That this would is, be drop top one. cars, like convertibles. The artist. Okay. Um, yeah, who do you it's, think? It's a, wait, wait, wait. Don't tell him. Yeah, I'm going to say LL, but it's probably not. No. Okay. Lucas, your turn. Okay. So this is Biggie Smalls. And I'm not going to get the point on this because I'm going to be honest with you. I thought cop all the drops meant that he has all, that he drops all the sickest lyrics. But I think you're right that cop all the drops means that he has all the convertibles. So I call all the shots. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that means he's the boss. Mm-hmm. And rip all the spots. See, I thought rip all the spots was always kind of like a drug dealing thing. That he got all the corners. He's he's the man. He he runs the spots. All right. I think so, it could be interpreted. So, but I, I stand by my thing with the shows. The definition, man. Says, I've sang this. Hmm? I've sang this verse a thousand times and never thought of it like this. I know, isn't that crazy? It says, yeah. "I tell everyone what to do or make all the decisions. I have a good time going to all the popular locations. Okay, I wear all the best diamond jewelry and I obtain all the convertible vehicles." Damn. So that's a point for. Scott. And then the artist is the notorious Big. Yes. So I would say that's a point since, for me. Yeah, a point for you for the artist. I gave you a point. And Scott gets yeah. a point for the definition because he. I would have never got have cops the, all the drops. Yeah, the convertible thing was very good. So that's Scott has four and Lucas four has three. Three. Okay. Patrick. This last one man. takes all. Here we go. Wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. Wouldn't bust a grape in. Oh, a that fruit just means you soft. If you were. Fighting like you wouldn't do any damage, you you wouldn't hurt anybody. Wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. So that means when you in a fruit fight, you wouldn't throw it even hard enough to bust a grape. So that means in a fight, you can't even throw hard enough to cause damage, or you can't. You're not a threat. You're not a fighter. Okay. Did you guess the artist? Yeah. What do you guys think the artist is, Scott? I'm gonna say it's DMX. Okay. I'm gonna say that it is. I don't know, man. I'm gonna say it's Young Jeezy. It's not. Okay, so neither of you were right on the artist. Oh. The artist is Jay-Z. But the definition says, when I get into fights, things like guns and fists are involved. So I'm not afraid of you because even if I fight insured in which people were using small pieces of food as weapons, you would be too scared to break a small piece of fruit or pull a small piece of fruit out of your pocket. Unexpectedly <laughs> and possibly both. Wow, that's a long definition huh? for huh? one sentence. Are, are we yeah. still here? Oh, so basically, okay. to sum that up, it means that we were both right. Yes. Because overall, it means you're just soft. Soft. Scott is the victor. Congratulations to Scott. Thanks again for tuning in. And don't forget, we love to hear from our listeners. So check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash other side podcast. All one word. Or you can also hit us up on Twitter at other side underscore POD. And uh, there you'll find past episodes, photos. You can submit questions and show suggestions and a whole lot more. And you can always email us at other side mailbox. All one word at gmail.com so until the next time try to see things from the other side